Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this is our first ever best of end-of-the-year edition podcast. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, I haven't done this in the past. Frankly, I thought it would take a lot longer to put the the clips and everything together, and it just felt like this daunting task. And luckily, or I should say fortunately, it really wasn't. So I kind of crowdsourced this one. I asked you guys over on Instagram, which were the episodes or guests that really hit home with you the most, the ones that you really remembered and truly loved, and that was kind of the foundation on which this podcast episode was born. So, not that I could put every single, um, you know, every single episode that was mentioned or every episode that I wanted to include into this one, uh, but we did cl- include six longer clips from episodes that were beloved, not only by me but also by you, and I'm really excited to get into it because, again, I just love these episodes. I love these people. And frankly, I love a lot of these people. So if you if your episode was on here, say you're a guest and you're listening to this show and you're like, hey, what the heck, man? How come mine wasn't? It's not because we don't love you. We just You got to have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And this is where we drew it. So uh, before we get into exactly who those people are, I do want to give a shout out to Sportsbackers. Thank you for sponsoring this episode of the Rambling Runner podcast. If you heard the episode with Joe Lugbill earlier this year, uh, kind of the guy who's running, uh, one of the many people who run, but you know the guy who really organizes the Richmond Marathon and you heard about all the things that they are doing to really create this really uh, welcoming and safe fall marathon environment. Well, they're back at it. So spring is going to be here before you know it. And the best way to get through the winter months of running is to have your next finish line in sight. And that's why Sportsbackers is excited to bring you a custom race experience with their first Sportsbackers marathon in Richmond, Virginia, featuring a marathon, half marathon, and a 5K. So From Friday, March 12th through Sunday, March 14th, you'll be able to run a race of your choice as well as pick your race day and start time. So the experienced team at Sportsbackers will take care of the rest with on-site packet pickup, measured courses, touchless bottle refill stations, timing, and of course, of course, Great race swag. So register now at sportsbackers.org. That's sports, B-A-C-K-E-R-S.org. Registration is currently $70 for the marathon, $60 for the half, and $25 for the 5K, with a price increase of all three distances on February First, so register today, Sportsbackers Marathon. You can train confidently this winter and celebrate your hard work in Richmond this March. So... Who do we got in this episode? The best of episode. Well, we did it chronologically in terms of when these people came on the podcast. So we got Mitch Amons, Kiese Lehman, Bart Yasso, Sarah Bishop, Marquise Bowden, Jay Hewitt, and um, Leah Jansen. So that's that's who we got. Uh, I'm not going to go through the full bios. You can go on to uh, basically the feed 
and check out the full episodes of all these people and you'll get the full taste of who they are. Um, and Mitch Amons is a wonderful runner out of Austin, Texas, who has uh, overcome addiction and has really, really run really fast times. Kese Lehman is one of the best writers in the world. And I was lucky enough to have him as a professor of mine in college who also has a really interesting uh, running history that he detailed in his book, Heavy, which is one of the best books in the world in 2020. I would definitely recommend uh, reading that. We talked at length about that. Bart Yasso, chief running officer at Runner's World for decades, uh, a man that needs no introduction. Frankly, Sarah Bishop, another person who doesn't need any introduction here on the Rambling Runner podcast. She's been, she's easily the most featured guest in podcast history over here. Marquise Bowden did incredible stuff for many years, but also at the uh, virtual Boston Marathon this year. Uh, Jay Hewitt is battling brain cancer and then finished and Iron Man, um, his first Iron Man ever. So it was an incredible story. We had two episodes with Jay. This came, this comes from the second episode. And finally, Leah Jansen, who's on the podcast a month ago, is an unbelievable master's athlete who really took to endurance sports as a master's athlete and who also has done great work with a lot of people from a coaching perspective in terms of her, um, you know, kind of coaching people on the mental side of athletics. So. Without further ado, let's get into it with Mitch Amons and the rest of our amazing guests. I got sober four and a half years ago, and that was about all that changed, was that I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using drugs, I, was, I didn't really know how to take care of myself, I didn't know how to keep a job, I didn't know how to um, pay bills, I ate awful, I ate horrible food, and I was okay with it. And I was, you know, I was like, kind of like... I'm not going to say I thought it was cool, but it was like this kind of grungy, like, I don't know, hippie thing. And I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of cool. And and that, that changed very quickly. I, I got over that very quickly. And I guess about um, two years sober, I was like, you know what? I, I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I, I smoked a lot of cigarettes. That was kind of the thing of us sober people was we drank coffee and smoked a lot of cigarettes. Um, uh, two years in, I, I put the cigarettes down. I actually joined a, a boot camp, like a, like a, a hit training, a interval training boot camp. And I, I, I was walking my dog through this park, um, close to the house and I was smoking a cigarette and I walked past these, this boot camp and they looked like they were having so much fun and they were working so hard. And I walked by and I was like, what is, what is it? What are y'all doing? And, and, um, this gentleman who actually be, is, is one of my really good friends today. He's like, well, this is my, uh, my boot camp. We're called organic fitness and training. He's like, you should come try it out. And so, the following week, I started there on a Monday. I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, that weekend, I smoked. I had I quit smoking that week. I was like, I'm done. I smoked another cigarette that Saturday, and it hurt so badly. And then that was the last cigarette I ever smoked. Um, and from there, I was kind of like, I, I wasn't quite hooked, but I was, I was like pre-hooked. I was ready to change my lifestyle and get healthy and be fit. Um, and as soon as I started exercising, everything else kind of came together. I started eating healthier. I wanted to fuel my body so that I could exercise. And I knew I wasn't going to do that eating cheeseburgers and fried chicken and um, Twinkies and all of the, the junk I would eat before. Um, so it, it really, and so a year of doing boot camp, I was like, there was, there was a track meet in our, t a local little track meet that anyone can join. And I was like, I want to run a five minute mile. And I was like, cause hey, that's like, what about what I ran um, my friend or my sophomore year of high school? I ran just under a five minute mile. I was like, I want to run a five minute mile. 
and uh, like really thinking to myself, like that is almost impossible. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it, but I want to try. Um, I didn't run that year in the track meet. That was a, it was a July. I actually waited till uh, I guess I ran in it the next year. But I started running in January uh, two years ago. And, um, so that summer I ran in the track meet and I ran the mile. Um, but the day that I decided I wanted to start running, I went and I couldn't run half a mile. I, I ran down the trail, um, half a mile and I stopped and rested and I ran back and that was my run for the day. Um, what was your inner monologue like that day? Were you, were you excited and giving yourself grace or were you kind of bummed out? Oh no, I was, I was like, man, I can run for half a mile. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was, I I probably ran, I, I, looking back, I probably ran what I run on my easy days, but it it felt really fast. Like I was like, man, I'm I'm really moving. Um, and I was very excited. And then from there it it was a, a long, hard road and it was, took a lot of work, but I enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed working towards the goal of the small goals that I had of running a five minute mile, um, the small goal of I had of completing a 10k and then completing a half marathon and then actually like wanting to um, improve on my times after that. And you mentioned like, all right, you'd run in places that people on both sides would say, hey, you probably shouldn't run there. We can place this specifically. Like, so we were in Poughkeepsie. There's two Poughkeepsies. This isn't metaphorical. There are literally two Poughkeepsies. There's Poughkeepsie City. There's Poughkeepsie Town. They share a border. Their border runs right through Vassar College. And that's where we both lived at the time. So you can, if you go into the town, it's very nice in terms of like, it's a great place to run. It's wide open, you know, wide streets, a lot of sidewalks, right? There's like, or just like a road with like not a lot of traffic. It's really nice. And you can go into the city where it's like, it's much more urban. You know, Poughkeepsie, you know, might sound like a kind of a funny name for a place, but it definitely is an urban area. And, you know, you can also go in that route. So when you think back to where you were running, the times of day you were running, just so late at night, in light of what we hear a lot now, like this week specifically, right? We, we've seen a lot of people have come out and wrote articles about like, hey, this is what it's like for me as a person of color running outside in terms of like, and, and what I'll say is, I'm not going to generalize it. I'll just bring up a post. I don't know if you know Tiana Bartoletta. Does that uh-huh. name sound familiar? Yeah. So she is, for people who don't know, she is an Olympic sprinter, a middle distance runner, also an extremely good writer in her own right. Um, her blogs are, are, are absolutely outstanding. And she's also one of the best athletes in the world. Like what an unbelievable combination. And she wrote a blog post, which I saw mirrored in a lot of other people's work. So I'll just read it real quick. This is just a section of it. And it talks about when she was running outside. She said, and then I saw people outside and immediately, almost as if seeing another human activated some survival protocol, three things happened. I smiled my biggest smile. I raised my hand and said, hello, as I approached. And I lowered my hand, shouted cheerfully, it's a beautiful day for a run. Mission complete. Don't scare my neighbors. And I have read dozens of versions of that seemingly the exact same passage is this something that was going through your mind as well when you were running through neighbor through kind of more urban i mean suburban neighborhoods oh definitely bro when i'm running through i mean not just suburban but like you know really white neighborhoods or just really really white people like you know i'm still from mississippi and and a lot of things happen to me running so i would i would always try to avoid people Right. Especially like if I if I could look up and I see I was about to pass someone 
particularly if they were white and real talk, particularly if they were like a white woman. I was just like, all right, fam, you got to go to the other side of the street. You know, like you really have to protect yourself. But also it's just like you didn't want to scare anybody. Do you know what I mean? And I know, you know, you know me, people who know me know, like, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to hurt somebody on the street. But I just didn't want those people to feel that sort of fear. But, you know, man, like, I just think when you are. I can't speak for anybody else, but like, I I just know as a as a as a big black human being. Running in these streets of America, I mean, a lot of us have stories about being chased by people and with guns, you know, being robbed, um, being called like all kind of really humiliating words and whatnot. But what's scary to me is that as a as a as a younger person who considered himself a runner, it was like I don't know how to explain it. Like I looked, that was part of what inspired me to run. You know, it, it, it's a strange kind of like. I'm not about to see earth to you, right? Like you don't get to decide whether or not I run. You might get to decide whether or not I cross the street, but I'm not about to let these people. And, and that, that, I mean, that terrified my mother, terrified my grandma. And I think because it terrified them, it made me want to do it more. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, bro, like I've, I've been chased many times in cars. And I mean, I haven't been chased. And when the people always doing the chasing, it's just historically have just been white men who tra- chase me. Um, and the times I got chased with people with guns, there's, those are also white men, but you know, I've been, I've been robbed before when running. Um, and, uh, you know, I just took it as like, Hey, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't know how to speak all that other than like, you know, I got friends who, who get robbed when walking, you know, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And it definitely getting robbed was nowhere near as terrifying as somebody chasing you down in a truck, like with literal guns. And I'm not saying these people are going to shoot the guns. But you and I played basketball. The first time I got chased, I was in I was in grad school, Bloomington, Indiana. I play. I was I just finished playing ball at um, Oberlin, and I went to grad school. And you know, you know that year after you finish playing ball, you still want to play ball all the time. So I went to play in this league in this town next to Bloomington called Martinsburg. And this white dude's on a free throw line, and he had a Jordan tattoo on his calf. And I looked down at his calf, and I smiled at the tattoo. And I think he must have thought I was joking with him or something because he looked at me and he said, I've killed niggas like you before. And he said, and I'll do it again. That's all. And I was like, wait a minute, bro. I'm from Mississippi. I've never heard those two sentences after one another. And long story short, you know, normally I would have reacted in some sort of like pretty volatile way. But, I, you know, I checked my surroundings. I I realized that if some popped off, nobody in there was going to have my back. Two or three days later, I'm running through Bloomington, the same dude. And I, I don't know, one of his friends, they start chasing me in a truck. And then when I get in the neighborhood, like they pull out a fucking gun. And, you know, like I felt they were just pulling that shit out to, to scare me. Um, But it was it was frightening. Right. So then, you you know, and then you get off of the street and you have to run through yards and whatnot. But the craziest thing about that, Matt, is that that night, not the next morning, that night I went out and ran the same streets again. I'm just saying, so for some of us, there's a fear, you know, there's like, you know, there's all these other things that people are writing about, but there's also just like this desire sometimes to be like, you don't get to own the earth, bro. You don't get to own the street. Like I'm going out there to push my body for better or worse. And like, you can, you can, you can hunt me down if you want to, but you're going to have to work that way. So for me, that, that, that's one of the things that inspired me. So I think when people are talking about running now, I feel everything people are saying 
But I also just wish people would talk a little bit about how that fear sometimes motivates some of us to do things that were bad and good with our bodies, you know? Yeah. And what you mentioned there, kind of running past and through difficulties, is something that a lot of my listeners have experienced or potentially currently are experiencing. And when you have that situation where it seems like this huge uphill battle and is it worth it to do all of this? Or maybe someone just hasn't run for a long time because they had some difficulties and then they got past them, but just didn't embrace an active lifestyle. And now it's kind of like, oh my goodness, like what? how long is this going to take? Is it worth it? You've, you've, <laughs> you've experienced these kind of stories so many times in your life and you've talked so you know motivationally and inspirationally about some of the people you've interacted with when you come across people who are in that situation and they just feel like, gosh, it's just it just seems like such a long haul to get back to where I was or or whatever their goal could be. What are some of the words that you like to impress upon them? Yeah, I always I always talk about some books to read, you know, people that have overcome so many obstacles and then go on to do well in life and to finish a race. You know, it doesn't have to be like Meb's books are incredible to read because he had such a, a rough life as a youngster and, you know, his whole family were refugees. And for him to come into America and really not know anything about the Olympics or what running is all about and go on to win the Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon, and win an Olympic medal in the marathon. I mean, are you kidding me? How does How does it happen? And then there's just so many of the everyday runners that overcome you know, a loss of a loved one or, you know, divorce or such, you know, just traumatic things that happen in your life. And they, uh, they use us running just to keep them, you know, keep them sane, give them a goal, something to do. And I always tell people, I do a lot of race announcing, uh, you know, at finish lines. And, you know, people always say to me, oh, you, you can leave, you know, there's only like 20 runners left. And I always say, I, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I don't leave till the last vehicle shows up that tells me there's no one else out on the course because you never know you know these people that come in late in a race you know a lot of people think oh they don't train or they're not a good athlete or whatever you don't know someone's story <laughs> and you you know i i stay there and you see i could tell right away that they got a story because you see them they're already crying when they still have 200 meters to go before they get to the finish line and so they've overcome something, and crossing this finish line to them is going to be a, a life-changing experience. And uh, it's it's the neatest experience to be there to witness this. And, uh, you know, some of them talk about their story, some don't, but uh, but a lot of them have, have that story. And uh, so we have to be there for those people. We just can't. Uh, it's such a such a cool experience. And you can't take that attitude like they didn't train or – I'll tell you, when I did the Comrades Marathon in South Africa in 2010, they call it a marathon, but it's actually 89 kilometers or 56 miles. I was uh, not physically well to do this race, but I thought it was my only opportunity to do it. I mean, I really wanted to do it in my younger days when I was healthy and stuff happened, never got there, entered the thing twice, and it never worked out. So when I went in 2010, I was, you know, I just had to finish the race. That's all I needed to do. But, you know, Runner's World was shooting some videos of the race and videos of me. And I look at myself at like mile five, and I was already in rough shape. And I thought, 
Only 51 miles to go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I always think if I was on the side of the road and saw me, I would say, hey, buddy, it's not worth it, man. You know, just chill out here. We'll give you a ride. And, uh, but they didn't know my story. You know, I really wanted to do this race. And it was, I just had to do it. it was my, what I called my only regret in running. I didn't do comrades. I entered it and I got sick and just never got to the starting line. So when I was there, I was convinced I would get to that finish line. I was not so much convinced when I left to go to South Africa because I did a 5K the weekend before and I could, I couldn't even break 30 minutes for a 5K. And I thought, oh my God, I am literally running at, half the pace I used to be able to run and you have to keep I forget the exact pace you got to keep to break 12 hours it's I think it's like a 13 and a half minute mile it's not you know that fast but it is 56 grueling miles in South Africa and uh, I did make it but I I would really honestly I would have if I would have saw someone that looked like me at mile five I would have just said hey buddy don't worry about it. We'll give you a ride. We'll, give, we'll buy you a sandwich, whatever you need. Don't hurt yourself because I was, I was in such bad shape. But, you know, my, my older brother, George, always wanted to play rugby in South Africa. And uh, he died of cancer and never had that opportunity. So there's all that stuff. You know, not only did I want to do it, but I also had uh, some family members that really wanted to go to South Africa. to, to uh, My brother wanted to play rugby there so badly. But during apartheid, it was illegal to do. So he never never got there. And then he died young of cancer, unfortunately. And uh, and he was the one that really played the biggest role in my running. So, I mean, I was, was not thinking about myself when I was out there for 56 miles. I was thinking about him the whole time. But you're a serial racer. You've always been that way. Every, every time you're on the podcast, it's like you give us a race report and like you forget races that you've done. You've done so many. <laughs> So what has it been like for you doing all of this training, this completely elevated amount of training without having this outlet that you've always relied upon? Well, I mean, now, I mean, before, so, so, you know, it was, uh, March, April, May, right. March, April, May, I didn't race at all. And that was really hard, but at the same time, I was full into like trying to gear, you know, do these longer bike rides and longer runs and get myself prepared and in a state where I could do an Ironman because I had never done a ride over like 50 miles, you know, before, um, before March. And so I knew I needed to get myself in a place where I was riding, doing, you know, two, you know, three to four hour rides, you know, at least regularly to try to do an Ironman. And so that was really fun to work up to that distance and be able to complete a few 112 mile rides at like race pace and know okay, I can do that. Then I had to work on the run after that because the first times I did first time I did those really long century hard century rides I could not run afterwards at all my legs were just not used to my it was like my um my um glutes and my um high hamstrings and my tendons like everything was not used to pushing five hours on a bike at that kind of 
pace, you know? And so, but the, but every time I did it, I did it like once a month, once a month, I'd do a really, really long ride followed by a longer run. And every time I did it, I got a little bit better at the run. And so, um, the last time I did it, I felt like, wow, okay, finally, you know, I think I could run a decent marathon off the bike. And I would definitely did not feel like that at all, you know, just a few months ago. So that kept me motivated for those few months I wasn't racing. Now I found all these races <laughs> in Indiana and I'm just doing them because it's fun. And one thing about racing too, and I was thinking about this the other day, is it's a skill. It's a skill just like anything else. And I always encourage my athletes to race every six to eight weeks. And of course, right now it's very difficult to do that and we can't all do that. Okay. But if you can, my athletes who race regularly do make prog- more progress faster because you're practicing exactly what you're trying to perfect, which is racing. And it's a sk- it's pushing yourself uh, to a point where um, you can't get in practice. And also the mental aspect of staying in the game, right? And, um, and uh, being mentally... Uh, strong and focused enough to give it your best effort. And the one thing about the Route 66 was really an eye-opener for me. It wasn't that great of a race, you know, for me in general. Well, the run just wasn't that great, you know. But And, of course, the conditions were, like, horrific. So there's that. But I recognize, like, when I kind of, like, gave up mentally in that run, I thought – this was the reason, Sarah, that I was doing this race is because it's going to be like this in Ironman where it's going to be, it could be 95 degrees. You still have 15 miles to go. You know, everybody's hurting. What are you going to do? How are you going to react? You know, nine to 10 hours in an Ironman is a really long day. There's definitely going to be times out there where things are not going your way. And I read this one, I read this actually today and it really resonated me with when you practice long and hard efforts, it becomes less emotional and more intellectual. And that really resonated with me because that's really what I found out last year when I did all these half iron races is that I started to realize things are not going to go my way during a long race all the time. And I need to take the emotion out of it and just switch gears in my head and problem solve, you know, like, okay, I had a five, I had to swim that was five minutes slower than I wanted. It's okay. I'm just going to get on the bike and I'm going to push and I'm going to catch on the bike and I, I, you know, I can stay in the game and then I'll coast on the run, you know, or man, my legs aren't working on the bike today, but that's okay. My heart rate's really low. And this means that my run's going to be better. So if you just take if the better, the more you can race. You know, and I'm not saying you should race every every month or whatnot, but it is a learned skill, and um, it, it the more you can do it, it does you can and take the emotion out of when you know things don't go your way in a race, um, and realize you can use your mind and your body to work through it and push you know and push through. Uh, the better you're gonna get, you know, the better results you're gonna get, the better athlete you're gonna be, the better um, racer you're going to be. So, um, so anyway, so I kind of went off on a tangent, but I've been racing (laughs) and, uh, and, and and it's been fun because I've been realizing that. Um, and I definitely realized that during the half iron and, you know, and that was the big thing with doing the Olympic the next day is I said, I'm not going to give up no matter what happens or how bad I feel. I do not want to give up. That was like my big thing. Cause I was kind of mad at myself that I gave up during the run. Cause I was like, man, I forgot how hard this is, you know? And of course it didn't really matter that, uh, uh, in the moment, but after the race, you're like, I really ha- had more in me, 
But, um, you know, so in the, in the Olympic distance, I did not give up and uh, was really happy with my effort there. So you always kind of learn something when you race. Um, and right now, there's no reason for me not to because I don't really have <laughs> any Ironman on the calendar that I think is going to happen this year. So I'm just going to continue to find um, races, you know, small races or anything that just keeps me interested and motivated to continue to train, you know. During that time, you also had a change from a professional perspective. So what happened, what, what, what COVID realities besides race cancellations were affecting your life during that period? Yes, yeah, so I ended up, uh, unfortunately, being laid off uh, at my job at the time, um, which I was doing operations admin for a book distributing company. And I loved the job. It was, it was a, good, a good stressful. You know, I mean, I think every job has a stress to it. Um, but uh, I, I wasn't ever thinking I was going to get laid off, you know, and it took a couple of us by surprise and took me by surprise. And, and, um, yeah, so it was, it was unfortunately laid off, laid off of work. And when that happens and I, I've been laid off before and there literally isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about that day when it happened. Um, even though I can look back on that day, even now and say, Hey, if I had kept my job, I wouldn't be having the life I have now professionally. Exactly. So like, I know that it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. It still doesn't alleviate the pain of that day. And I still think about it every single day that goes by. So mm -hmm. with that being said, when that happens to you and that can be a really jarring experience, what was, you know, not, not day of reaction because that's pure emotion, but a couple days later when you're able to look at it with a sober mind, what, what was your reaction to that news and what you were going to embrace moving forward? Yeah, of course. I mean, at that time, as, as the emotion settled in, I'm like, okay, this is, this is what it is. You know, um, my next thought was like, I want to be a professional runner. I want to, I want to strive for running the best way that I can. This is an opportunity of a, of a lifetime right now. Um, even at the time as well, like I was applying to get unemployment and that was even like a shut door. Like I didn't, I didn't receive a dime of unemployment um, uh, at the time because uh, it was so impacted. Because everyone was impacted by, you know, being by COVID, um, and it, it was very difficult. Um, and and it, within those within those couple of weeks, I had you know family and friends just encourage me. It's most of my my family, like that that blew my mind seeing my grandmother, and my family. Uh, support me running wise, and that just gave me the energy. In, as long as, as well as my friends in the community here in LA and people that I know, you know, in the United States as well, like just the encouragement they gave. And, and I said, I'm, I told them, I'm gonna go for this. I'm gonna give everything I have this cycle continually, and on forward to to do the best that I can to give myself the best opportunity to become the best runner that I can be. If it's being a professional runner, I will be head over heels for the opportunity. But if it doesn't, it's okay. I'm just going to just put my head down now and just work, not worry about anything other than just giving myself the best opportunity for Boston. And I just wanted to focus on just that one thing, but me making the decision to, to really strive for running was a decision I made out of the heartache of being laid off. And that is a bold decision because here you are in a decision, but this, that's a whole, it's a bold goal because here you are no true running background to speak of. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you had just run 241 in a kind of a workout marathon setting, which is 
extremely commendable and very, very fast and faster than, you know, 99% of marathoners out there. At the same <laughs> time, it's 30 minutes slower than what 10 Americans did at Chicago in 2019. Correct. Right. Yeah. We had 10 Americans hit 211. Yeah. So you see that and you okay, okay, this is the goal. I want to do something bold and I have a bold vision for the future. And yet I'm sure you were aware of where you stood compared to people that you wanted to view as peers. So when you had this goal, you wrapped yourself around that. How were you able to align both of those things in your mind at the same time? Because they are quite different. Yeah, definitely very much so different, Matt. I mean, a part of me knowing that everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different path. Uh, of course, reality is real. You got you can't you have to respect reality, but I feel like there's nothing more powerful than obtaining a dream and a goal. Um, granted, I know people have been striving to to do marathoning. I mean, their entire lives, and I respect that. And um, and I I'm going to always respect. That. I respect and love this sport uh, with everything in me. But I know if you put your hard mind to something, you can go get out there and knowing it's not going to be easy whatsoever. You know, but it's just something I just believe with that with in, in the in the pit of my heart. And um but I know it's gonna be a long process and I I've take my pride I have taken pride in not skipping steps and uh and enjoying the process. In the midst of all of this, you're taking on a lot. You're again, your your energy levels are gonna be depressed because of the therapy, and then it's gonna be even more depressed because of the because <laughs> you're training for an Ironman and you're gonna be tired even in the best of circumstances. So what was that like for you in terms of um, your coordination from a family perspective with your wife in terms of like coordinating what you were doing with your family and your kids and the potential, you know, trade off of an, an endeavor like this, which can be all consuming in some ways coupled with the cancer and then, you know, your work, um, you know, as a pastor. How were you able to, to, to make sure that all of the areas of your life were attended to in a way that did everything justice? Yeah, in the beginning, it was a dream, and then it turned into a nightmare. So back in my 20s, I did an Olympic distance triathlon. And after doing that, I thought, yeah, that's probably the longest distance I'm going to be able to do because of the training that it took even for that Olympic distance. And I thought, there's just no way I'm ever going to have the time in my life to dedicate to train for for a full distance Ironman. Uh, but when I got my diagnosis, I was also put on medical leave. And so that allowed me to take my daughter to school. My wife would go to work and then I would train. And then I would pick my daughter up and my wife would come home. And it was like, I wasn't even gone. Uh, however, uh, COVID-19 comes on the scene. And now my wife is working at home and my daughter is at home as well, uh, not in school. And my wife and daughter get up and I'm already gone. And it's just kind of like, peace out. I'll be back in five hours. And that was really difficult on, uh, on my family. And it really, uh, tore me up because the whole reason I was doing this Ironman is for my daughter. I wanted to teach my daughter resiliency and I wanted to forge a deep connection with her and make her feel really loved and really special that I dedicated this race to her. But now all of a sudden I'm, I feel vacant from her life. And that's why when the races started getting postponed, I was like, I can't keep deferring this 
and taking time away from my family. I, I need to get this done. And so that's when we just finally decided in October to uh, go through it with it on our own and plan our own iron distance race. Uh, and just, you know, it's not about the medal. It's not about the title. It doesn't have to be an official Ironman, but I'm going to go the distance. Uh, and then in doing so, Ironman heard about it and they said, hey, this is going to be uh, our first ever VR full distance race in October. You want to be a part of that and we'll sanction your race. And they jumped on board. I jumped on board with them. We ended up being able to help each other out quite a bit. And it turned out to be a dream. It was really cool. But the training towards the end was really hard on my family. And I needed to, I needed to complete this thing. And what were you able to do mentally and emotionally to put yourself in a good headspace for everyone in your life, right? So you're, you're, you're in the situation now where all of a sudden what you thought would be this unifying thing is now being not maybe not overly divisive, but there's a divisive element within it. So, you know, but you still have to follow through with it. So you're kind of, you're in this odd space. So what did you have to do at that point, I guess, mentally and emotionally to set yourself right, given the circumstances, knowing that, you know, once this is all completed, I'm assuming like, it's like, okay, we're going to get back to normal here and, and things, then this too shall pass type feeling to it. But obviously you maybe weren't going to be able to go the distance, as you put it, with that kind of negativity hanging over your head, especially considering that you're just kind of a, a super positive guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in that, in the time, once we uh, hit the, the pandemic uh, quarantine, uh, things got really difficult and there was a lot of self doubt. Is this what I'm really supposed to be doing with my time? Is this the best way for me to love my daughter? And uh, a lot of people thought I was crazy to start with, you know, who, who gets, who gets diagnosed with cancer and decides then to just heap suffering on suffering and do a, an Ironman, you know, that's nuts in and of itself. But now I was questioning myself, am I crazy? Um, but I just, I kept coming back to the purpose while I, while I was doing it. And I kept reminding myself that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I have the opportunity now to allow my daughter to see me knocked down by life, but still get up every day and go train and hold on to hope and keep pressing forward and, and to actualize this dream to press on to the finish line. And I knew that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so even though the struggle became more and more, I thought if I can just stay the course and get through this this time, and I put in, I had to put that end date on it because it was this mini moving finish line. And while the finish line was moving, it was just maddening. So once I decided I'm going to plan my own race, uh, then I was able to focus back in on this. This is just for a time. And after I'm done with this, I'll be able to pivot my attention to teaching my daughter resiliency through a different way. So with the race, I was allowing her to see me from a distance, set an example. But then after the race, I had plans to, to teach her shoulder by shoulder uh, as we worked together. And so since the race, at, at the finish line, I gave her a resiliency journal for kids. And it's really fun and really great for promoting a growth mindset. And so we sit down now daily, and it's part of her curriculum 
um, to, to learn resiliency and we do it together. And then we do these little challenges and I'm right by her side as she's jumping off of, you know, little waterfalls into pools and things that she was once scared to do. She's now facing those and I'm right there with her. So I just had to keep that vision in mind as I was trudging through and wondering, is this the right use of my time? And fortunately for me, it paid off and it was the right use for my time. And there's this awesome bond that I forged with my daughter and I've, I've seen her get the, get the message message received. Okay. We're, we got to get going. I do want to ask you one more question. And this is relates to, you know, basically your background coupled with people who you work with. So what is your response when you have people like, yeah, Leah, listen, you qualified for Kona. You're kicking butt at age 40. This is so inspiring. But you were also an all-state tennis player in high school. You were like, you walked on to a college lacrosse team without ever playing lacrosse. Like, I've never done any of this. I'm not this like high school stud athlete. Like, I don't have any history of athletic success. So what, why are the things that you're talking about, why would they even apply to me? Because considering that our backgrounds don't align at all. Uh, I, I'll go back to what I said before, the talent piece. Like, yes, that I grew up in a, an athletic household. I definitely have some athletic talent. And I have that competition piece of me that that I love. I love to compete. But that can all, it, if I learned it, anybody can learn it. And yeah, I, I, but I told you I was not a standout athlete in high school. I wasn't. I was an all-state tennis player, but there were other people that were all-state tennis players as well. It wasn't anything that impressive. It's really not that impressive. I didn't. I played on a D3 college lacrosse team back in the early 90s. It, it wasn't a big deal. You know, I tell that story more because it's because I missed competition so much that I was willing to, to be a newbie and not be that great at the sport, but just to do it more for fun. So I, I, again, I think that's an, that's an excuse. And I sort of challenge people on that. Yeah. There's, there's some talent. Everybody is, has an athletic piece of them if they choose to, to use it. Um, and there's a lot you can overcome training properly and having a, uh, the proper mindset. And I'm here, I am here to bring that out of you. I am here. My job, my gift, my passion is for helping people maximize their potential, you know, and get over those things. Well, I wasn't a high school athlete and I didn't grow up in a, in a, in an athletic household. Yeah. All of those things definitely helped me to, you know, so maybe my, my journey to Kona was only three years as opposed to 20. I cut down on a lot of that because of this sort of system that I use and the sort of mindset preparation that I've, I've, I've come to, to figure out. I can help you do that. You know, it, it's, and you can get there. It depends on how hard you work and how much you want it. And desire is a big piece of it. But the, the also the piece of it is to have a coach. You know, I think people minimize that. Oh, I don't need that. I can just go to a, you know, I can, I can search a, a, a training plan online and follow it. Yeah, absolutely. You can, but it really helps to have someone in your corner and someone who, who gets it and who, who can encourage you when you need it and can, can applaud you when you also need it because you and I both know when you're in those months of training when there there there's no one clapping for you at the finish line there's no medal you have to just show up every single day it's nice to have someone who's like hey nice job on that workout today i know it was cold and rainy and snowy and you were tired but you did it and that's the win matt that's the part i love it's not the race for me it's the it's the daily wins and the weekly wins when you go out in that horrible weather and you you crank out that 18 miler that 20 miler, that 15, whatever it is, and you get it done when no one else is out there. 
You know, I thrive on being that 1%. I want everybody to be that 1% and do the things that other people won't do because that's the difference maker. Wow. What an episode. These folks, such amazing people. Again, I wish I could do, you know, like a segment from every episode that we put out in 2020. Um, that would take like a month, it would basically like a month of best of episodes. So we're not going to do that. So thank you to these specific guests for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening. And please let me know who you want to be on this show. Some of the best podcast guests that I've had are people who I might not have known of. And they were brought to my attention through somebody else. They come on the show and they're just simply amazing. There are so many wonderful stories in the running community. And I want to share all the great ones. I really and truly do. And great ones don't necessarily mean fast times, unbelievable PRs, or incredible race experiences. While those are all fantastic. And I love sharing those stories as well. There's more than that. There's more texture to the running community than that. There's those people who are coming back in the sport, who are fighting hard, who are battling injury, who are just gotten injured. There's the four-hour marathoners, the five-hour marathoners, the people who have no interest in ever running a marathon and everything in between. So thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.